Welcome to the Health Leader Forge. My name is Mark Bonica. I'm a professor here at the University of New Hampshire's Department of Health Management and Policy. And today I'm joined by two guest hosts for this podcast. Ladies, would you like to introduce yourselves? I'm Kaylee Matthews, a junior HMP student, and I'm from Lunenburg, Mass. I'm Nicole Bishop. I am also a junior health management and policy student, and I'm from Hudson, Massachusetts. Excellent. So who did you guys talk to today? We interviewed Sam O'Neill, who is the Vice President of Human Resources at the Elliott Health System in Manchester, New Hampshire. And so what did you guys learn that was interesting? I found it interesting how even though this was her first position in healthcare, she was able to take all of her previous experience in human resources and apply it to her new position. Great. And I found it interesting to see all the different aspects of the organization she's involved in by being the VP of Human Resources and how she contributed to each part of the hospital. Excellent. All right. Well, here is Kaylee and Nicole interviewing Sam O'Neill. Welcome to The Forge, Sam. Thank you. So let's start at the very beginning of your career. So you went to Westfield State and got your degree in music education. Why did you decide to go to Westfield and why music education? So, yeah, music education is really close to human resources. <laughs> um, so all growing up, I wanted to be a music education teacher. I loved music and I liked education, so I thought that would be really good to put the two together. And um, I needed to pay for school for myself, so I had to go to a – I lived in Massachusetts, so I needed a Massachusetts school for state for state prices. So Westfield had a great music program. They were, had a good reputation for education. So I applied and, and got in, and, and that's how I got my degree in music education. So your first job out of college was at Shawmut Bank as a business retirement plan specialist. What led you to this job in particular right out of college? So through college, I worked at Shawmut Bank. I actually worked at a couple banks, and then banks were buying out banks. So I ended up being a teller it, during Christmas break and summer break as a college student. And then I was head teller. And then when I graduated Westfield, that was when they had, um, I forget what regulation, but they were cutting arts and music and gym out of school. And there weren't jobs. There weren't music education jobs. And I had already been working at the bank. And then the bank offered me a position, a full-time position there. And being a college student fresh out of school, I needed to work. So I thought that was a great opportunity. And um, so I worked as a business retirement plan specialist. Did you enjoy that job? It was different. It was it was a good opportunity in the sense that um, I was able to help people with retirement. One of the challenges was I was in my early 20s, and I was trying to convince people in their 40s and 50s that they needed to save for retirement. And they were like, well, why should we take retirement advice from a kid? So that was really hard. But then once you got... Once you were more fluent in what you were selling and the reason for it, it became much easier and I actually enjoyed it and I did really well at it, but it was definitely different than music education. So there was a lot of learning curve in the process. So after that, your first job in human resources was as a human resources assistant at Microsoft Corporation. What led you to this position and just human resources in general and what did you do there? So when I was at the bank, um, banks were buying out banks, and my position was eliminated, and I was asked to either take a package or move to Rhode Island or, compute, or commute to Rhode Island. And I didn't really want to do that. So I was, I think at the time I was in my early 20s, mid-20s maybe at that point, 
And so I figured I would take a package because they counted all the time that I was there during college. So I thought, yeah, that's a pretty good deal. And I went to a temp agency and they asked me what I wanted to do. And I said, I had no idea. That's why I was there. And, um, and so there was a, a temp position at Microsoft as an HR assistant. And they asked if I was interested in that. And I said, I could be, but I don't know anything about human resources, but I'd be interested in learning about it. Microsoft's a good company. And the person that I was working with at the temp agency said, well, you have a lot of transferable skills. Again, being my mid-20s, I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about, so educate me. And she said, when I was at the bank, I also did a lot of training. I did um, ADA, which is Americans with Disabilities Act, customer service, sexual harassment training, which are all parts of human resources. So she said, you actually have more skills in human resources than you think you do. So I went for the interview, and I got the temp job, and then they hired me full-time. And that was really how I got my foot in the door of, of HR when I had absolutely no idea what HR was or what I wanted to do. But that was that was the start of it. So you didn't stay at Microsoft very long, and you pretty quickly went to Computer People Incorporated, which was later acquired by Agilon Consulting, a worldwide provider of IT and communication staffing. So you were with Computer People, later Agilon, for 12 years, rising from an HR representative to the senior vice president of HR. So at what point did you know that you wanted to stay in HR for your career, and how did you know? So when I was at Microsoft, I was an HR assistant, and I realized when I was there, I wanted to do more, and I I wasn't I wasn't a I wasn't a good assistant because I wanted to do more. And if somebody said, go make me copies, I would do that. But I also wanted to do more. And it just, I wasn't satisfied. It, I wasn't challenged. It wasn't enough for me. And I had, um, there was a, a senior business partner or HR rep at Microsoft that kind of took me under her wing because she saw potential and she knew I wanted to do more. So she taught me how to recruit and she taught me about some of the things that she did. So she really sparked my interest in being more involved in HR and learning more about it. And so being an HR assistant, if there was a training class and I had training background, I would ask my boss, can I sit in or is there something I can do? And she says, sure, you can set up the room and make copies. And I did because that was my job, but I always felt that that wasn't enough and I wanted to do more. So I started looking and um, I applied for an HR rep job at Computer People, um, which, you know, I was lucky in the fact that I only had, I think, eight months of HR experience and somebody took a chance on me. And to me, that that meant a lot because I didn't have a lot of experience and it was really learning on the fly and it was total baptism by fire. And um, I think that was really what sparked my interest in HR. And the more I got involved in different things with HR, the more I enjoyed it and, and kind of found my niche on what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, and then being in Computer People and Agilon, so that was, um, that was interesting because my first week as Computer People, my boss said to me, here's a binder of the company and our benefits we're doing an acquisition in King of Prussia, and you're going to go do it. I had no idea what I was doing. And so I'm on the plane reading the binder, taking a crash course of the company and benefits. And and so I really, it was truly a baptism by fire experience. 
And then, you know, as I, I took a lot of courses and got um, a lot under my belt at Computer People. And then Computer People acquired, no, Agilon acquired Computer People. And I was actually going to lay myself off because Agilon's headquarters was in Baltimore and Computer People was in Massachusetts. So all of the corporate function was going to Baltimore. And um, the head of HR there, I worked closely with her through the acquisition process. And I had, I had to lay off like 150 or 60 people. And I was one of them. I was going to lay myself off. And she flew me out there and she said, I'd like to hire you. And I was like, well, I really appreciate that, but I don't want to relocate to Baltimore. She's like, well, what if you were to work in Massachusetts and your staff is in Baltimore? I'm thinking, how the heck is that going to work? And um, so we made an agreement that we would try it. And if it didn't work for either one of us, then I would still get laid off, but we'd give it a shot. And I'm thinking, well, you know, I liked her. I liked the company. It was a great experience. At that point, I think I did four or five acquisitions. So I had them under my belt. And um, yeah, 12 years later, um, so it worked. And my role just expanded and I was able to, to grow within the organization. So making senior vice president in 12 years is impressive. What do you believe led to your success? Um, I think there's a couple things. I think um, one of the biggest things is having the opportunity and people giving you the chance and seeing the potential. I think that really is a piece of it. But then <coughs> fulfilling that and coming through and learning and being able to be successful and, and learn, you know, and embracing everything. I mean, you learn as you go, you make mistakes as you go, but I think if you learn from the mistakes, that's an opportunity to improve things. Um, and a lot of it, a lot of it was timing. A lot of it was, you know, the right place at the right time, people giving you opportunity. But I will say I, I worked really hard, um, and spent a lot of hours and took a lot of courses and, really dedicated myself to my career to say this is what I wanted and I really enjoyed it and it, it, it paid off in the end. So you left Agilon in 2008 to go to TomTom Tom to be the Vice President of Human Resources. Can you tell us a little bit about what TomTom Tom is? Yep, so TomTom Tom, um, is a GPS, so Garmin and TomTom. Tom. I don't even think people use GPSs that much anymore. It's all on your phone. Um, so it was a GPS um, company and it was a lot smaller and it was a totally different industry than Agilon. So Agilon was IT staffing. And the reason that I left Agilon was um, my position was moving to Melville, New York. So if I wasn't going to move to Baltimore, I sure as heck wasn't going to move to Melville, New York. And so Agilon was a part of a deco. So a deco is a, a larger company. So if you think of a deco as kind of the mothership, there was Agilon Consulting Agilon Communications, Agilon Finance, Lee Heck Harrison. And each division had their own back office functions, HR, finance, marketing, legal. And what they wanted to do was it, they wanted to consolidate and make shared services. So I was part of, I led the HR piece to do the consolidation of the shared service function. And then they asked me to relocate and I really didn't want to. I had a, you know, a son who was in school, I didn't really feel uprooting him was a good idea. And I had already been head of HR, it would have been a step backwards. So I didn't really want to do that. So I went to TomTom Tom, um, and applied for the VP of um, Human Resources for the Americas and got the position. What would you say that you learned at TomTom? Tom? 
what I learned at TomTom was how to really build an HR function. So when I got there, they didn't really, they had one HR person and it wasn't well-functioned. They didn't have an application. They didn't really have a standard interview process. They didn't really have, they didn't have a handbook. They really didn't have the functions needed to have an HR department. So I was really brought on board to do two things. One was to build an HR department and they had acquired a company called Teleatlas in Lebanon. And it, I had to work through the acquisition and to merge the two companies together. So I learned a lot about building an HR department from scratch and then doing an acquisition. And I've done a lot of acquisitions in my time frame. I think this one was the most difficult because the employees weren't supportive of it. So I really, it, it, for me, I think it was the most difficult and the best learning experience on dealing with an acquisition and getting through the cultural change of bringing two companies together. So you were with TomTom for about three years, and then you joined Velcro to be their vice president of human resources. Tell us a little bit about what Velcro is. So Velcro is, um, how do you describe Velcro? <laughs> um, it's the hook and loop. So when you look at shoes, when you look at um, the military uniforms, the gardening things, so it's the the hook and loop that the the product of the hook and loop. So it was manufacturing. So you know I've had IT, I've had um, GPS, which is more entrepreneurial and technology, and then Velcro, which is manufacturing. So very three very different industries and very different uh, organizations. So I've learned a lot of different industries. Um, throughout my career in HR. What drew you to Velcro and what was the opportunity there? So the opportunity was there was um, Vice President of Human Resources for the Americas, but being the successor of the global HR person. So she had been there for 30-ish years and she was looking to retire. And so they wanted to bring in her successor and have an overlap. And then she was going to determine her retirement based on how quickly this person got up to speed. So that was why I took it. I took it for a couple of reasons. It gave me global, it would give me global experience. I had a little bit of global experience at TomTom because I was, I oversaw Canada and I oversaw the Americas, but Velcro also included Mexico, Canada. We did two acquisitions in Brazil and we opened a plant in Uruguay. So I was really able to get a lot of international experience, which was just amazing because it's HR in different countries is very, very different than HR here. It gave me the ability to learn different cultures, learn different employment laws and deal with unions, which thankfully we don't deal with in the U.S. as much in with the companies that I've worked for. So it gave me a lot of experience. The The interesting piece of that is that the position didn't end up being the global position. It ended up being just the Americas. So what happened was I had um, our the CEO that hired me retired when the head of HR retired. And so I was hired to be her successor, trained to be her successor. And that was kind of the plan, which is why I took the position as, a, as another career opportunity to expand my career. And they brought in a new CEO, um, from our Spain office who said, who came into my office one day and said, hey, I understand that you were hired to be the successor, but here's the deal. 
is, I don't know you, you don't know me, um, you need to apply for the position, and it's 50% international travel. And I was like, whoa, well, <laughs> that's a problem for me because, again, I have a son. I, I did international travel, probably 20, 25%. There's no way on earth I could have done 50% of travel and balance being a mom. Something would have had to give, and, and being a mom to me is first. So I, I was like, I can't do it. But if I don't do it, can I stay in my current position? I didn't want to be without a job, and I liked what I did. So... Um, one of the things that I said was I'd like to be involved in the hiring of the person because if I'm going to report to the person, I'd like to be involved in who we're going to select. And so I ended up staying in the Americas position and they ended up bringing somebody else in, in the global piece that could actually do and wanted to do the, the level of international travel. That was just way, way too much of a juggle for me. So you left Velcro in 2014 to join the Elliott Health System, which is where we are today. What was it that led you to the Elliott? Um, there's a couple things. I think the biggest thing is when I was doing the international travel at Velcro, as a mom, I would leave on a Sunday or, a, yeah, Sunday and come back on a Saturday. And I was getting texts from my son at 1 and 2 a.m. where he should be sleeping. Mom, I miss you. And it it pulls at your heartstrings. And I think I was at a point where I needed to make a change to have a better work-life balance and be home more. But then it came to a point where I felt like I did what I needed to accomplish at, at Velcro. And I felt that I wasn't making a difference anymore. They were moving in a direction that was a little different than the direction that I had hoped from an HR perspective. So I was contemplating leaving but I wasn't actively looking. And then I got a call. I was kind of on the fence. And then I got a call from an executive recruiter about a, a position at Elliott. And I was mixed about it because the position was a director level reporting to a VP and it was healthcare, but it was in Manchester. So I was like, well, it's close. I can get the work-life balance piece, but I've worked really hard in my career to be vice president, senior vice president, director is a step back, I'm not really sure. Let me think about it. And I thought about it. And um, I, I came back on Monday and I called him back and I said, why don't you put my hat in the ring and see what happens? And, uh, and it, it worked out well because here I am. So. so before we talk about your current role here at the Elliott, could you tell us a little bit about the organization? Yep. So Elliott is a health system. We have um, about probably 3,800 employees, which includes employed physicians. We have, um, in the system, we have the hospital, we have urgent cares, and we have individual doctor practices, whether it's a family practice or specialties. And it's we have about 296 beds within the hospital, so it's a fairly large health system. And what does the hospital and the system do especially well? Did anything stick out to you when you first came or even today? I think the biggest thing is the care that they give patients, and that's everybody's focus. And I think, you know, I didn't realize what went on in a hospital behind the scenes, and I really, it gave me a whole new perspective and appreciation of what 
what every level within healthcare does, you know, whether it's environmental or a physician, it really opened your eyes and made you more aware of what happens behind the scenes and, and what people live through every day. So as you just mentioned, your first job at the Elliott was the director of human resources. Mm-hmm. What did this job entail when you first got here? So I oversaw the business partners and the business partners are those individuals who um, do employee relations, coaching, development, discipline, the recruiting team, and the compensation analyst. When you transitioned from director to vice president, how did you feel about that transition? And what were the other expectations given to you when you were promoted? So when I moved to the director position, um, when I was the director, I was given, so I started when I came in, I had the compensation recruiters and uh, business partners, and then Um, the director of benefits left. So I was given the responsibility of benefits. And then we moved the director of HRIS, which is the HR information systems, to more of an educator trainer role. And his department came under me. So I, when I was director, um, I, through that time period, I got more and more responsibility. Um, And then the vice president of human resources left and I was the interim. So I took on all of human resources And then when I was actually promoted to vice president, um, I took the remaining piece of that role, which is, so under HR now, I have the employee relations, the comp and ben, HRIS, training, education, development, organizational development, the daycare, volunteers, and physician recruiting. I feel like I'm missing something, but that's the gist of what's under me now. Okay. And would you be able to talk a little bit about the general organization structure of the Elliott and where you fit into that organization as the Vice President of Human Resources? So as Vice President of Human Resources, I'm part of the senior leadership team. So we have um, a CEO and then we have senior vice presidents, which is um, our chief medical officer, our chief um, nursing officer, um, chief operating officer, chief information officer and our chief financial officer and our legal counsel. And then then the vice presidents. So there's six or seven vice presidents. So I actually report into um, our legal counsel. And who do you feel you interact with most as vice president? Ooh, I interact with literally everybody at all levels. Um, For the most part, I want to say I interact with management and physicians. So I have HR divided up into client bases, um, and I'll explain that in a little bit. But my role, I oversee everybody. So I, I interact with everybody. If there's somebody from the frontline staff who wants to talk to me, I'm not going to say go talk to your business partner. If they specifically want to talk to me, I have an open door policy. I have no problem coming in and meeting somebody on third shift or second shift. Um, But I think the majority of who I deal with is more management and the physicians. And a little bit ago, you talked about some of the departments that you're involved with. Would you mind describing some of those things like compensation and benefits and their missions? Something like the recruiting, employee relations. Yep. So for compensation and benefits, I have, we actually just changed the structure of that department. So it's always been, I've had people that were specialized in compensation and I had people specialized in benefits. And that's not 
usually how it is. Usually it's comp and Ben. So what we've done is we've done cross-training within depart- in the department. So those that know compensation were cross-trained in benefits and vice versa. So I think it gave them um, more ability, you know, for career advancement and, and expand their own knowledge, but it made the department a little more comprehensive and functionable for their client base. So that's worked really well. And our biggest mission for Comp and Ben is to make sure that our benefits and our compensation is within the market, which is becoming more and more challenging because we're having a healthcare shortage. And so, you know, when you look at our competition, it's staying within the market, but why Elliot? What differentiates you to come here? If you're a nurse, if you're in HR, if you're in environmental, if you're in IT, you can do what you do at any of the health systems within the area. So why here? And a lot of the differential piece of it is compensation and benefits. So we're really trying to make sure that we stay within the market and are, are try to come up with some unique benefits and unique programs that we can offer employees that are different than our competition. How do you know if you're within the market? So we do a lot of market analysis. We do, we participate in a lot of market surveys. And I also, I personally belong within HR, but as a health system, we belong to the advisory board, which is a wealth of knowledge and they provide us a lot of market data. And so it helps us with turnover numbers, what the market is doing, the healthcare shortage, what other organizations are doing. So it really keeps us in the know for us to be able to help come up with our strategy and to get us from where we are to where we need to be. How does your team deliver support to the other departments in the organization? So we support every department within the organization. So when you look at, you know, to go back to your last question with employee relations and recruiting, um, the mission there is to attract and retain. And the HRIS administration is the data entry piece and making sure that people are paid correctly and that you know, their, their, their status is correct, whether they're full-time, part-time, which department they're in and so forth. So this, the support that we deliver really ties into all those different functions. So we have, I have HR teams that are divided up and they support client groups. So I have one group that supports nursing inpatient. And then I have two groups that support outpatient. One is the network, one is the specialties. And each HR group, and then I have other groups, but that kind of gives you the gist of it. Each HR team has an HR business partner, which is the sort of the team lead, if you will, a comp and bend person and a recruiter. So each client base has a first line contact and then they have a backup team. So if there's a business partner that's out or at a meeting and they need assistance and they call their business partner, that person's not available, they call their backup. So each, I have six teams, each team has a backup team. But we, we work with organi- throughout the organization with every department, whether it be benefit questions, whether it be coaching, whether it be, um, team building, training, uh, discipline. I don't know what to do. Can you brainstorm? Can you come and talk about retirement plans? People don't understand what it is. You know, how do, how do we approve time cards? Can you come and do training session for new employees? I mean, it, it really runs the gamut and it's every department within the organization that we support one way or another. These next two questions kind of go hand in hand. With all these departments that you're talking about, you work with, would you say they're typical components of a human resource department? And how is it different in healthcare organizations from the previous companies you've worked for? 
So these are definitely typical components of an HR department. Um, like I said, the one thing that I changed was the comp and bend because I wanted people cross-trained. Right. The interesting piece is when I got here, we were not staffed appropriately to support the client base. So when I got here, I think there were three business partners, two recruiters, one HRIS person, one person on benefits, one one retirement person. And the amount of calls and the volume was just overwhelming. And, you know, we weren't really supplying good, solid customer service. Employees were getting frustrated with us. The HR team was overwhelmed. They weren't able to be proactive and be visible because they were kind of chained to their desk answering calls and emails. And it just, it wasn't really working well. And we did an employee survey to get results on that. And they came back really, really bad. So going back to the data, I was able to go to the HR advisory board and say, can you give me some data on ratios of employees versus HR people? Because the way that we're set up isn't working. But I can't really go to the CEO and say, can I have 10 positions and not have backup behind that? So HR advisory board sent me some great data on ratios of HR people versus size of company and things like that. It was great. We had a couple conference calls, got my hand around the, the information, went to the CEO and said, we're failing in HR because we don't have the appropriate staff levels. And here's the data. Here's how I would like to structure the department. And he said, go for it. And I thought, wow, I'm going to run quick and do this before I lose the positions. But I thought for sure he was going to say, you can only do a couple positions. But he was really good with if let's staff appropriately and be successful. So I was really thankful for that. So we were able to hire additional people. So on the HR team, not including daycare and volunteer and stuff, if you include organization development, training, education, and development, and um, HR, we have 26 or 27 people on the team, which is much more appropriately staffed for success, not only within HR, but to have the support of the employees. So it's the components are typical, but what you have to make sure is that you really have the staff to, to be successful and to really provide the customer service. There's lots of people that don't really understand the components of HR and everything that HR can offer and partner with. So when you're staffed appropriately, you can really fulfill that and really get people to use HR the way that it should be rather than just paper processing. And I forgot your other question. It was, is working in healthcare human resources different from previous companies you've worked for? Um, not really. So HR is HR is HR. And what's different is learning the culture and the environment and the industry. But HR is one of those skills, kind of like finance, it's transferable. And it's interesting because when I came here, I went through a pretty aggressive interview process. I think I came back four or five times and interviewed with 26 people. And every single interview that I went through said to me, love your background, you bring a lot of experience, but you don't have health care. And you're right, I don't, I can't, I can't fluff that in an interview, I can't right. talk my way around it. Um, but what I was able to do is show that HR is transferable and you're still dealing with the same 
challenges of recruitment and retention and the same challenges of training and development and holding people accountable and performance reviews and discipline and coaching. And it doesn't matter what industry, you're bringing that skill to the industry. So what I had to learn was the healthcare culture, the acronyms. There's more acronyms in healthcare than any industry I've worked in. And really understanding that the different culture and dealing with the different personalities. So that's the different piece, but in healthcare, but it's no different than when I went to manufacturing when I was at Velcro and they said, well, your background's great, but you don't have manufacturing. Nope, I don't. Right. But HR is HR. And I had to go in and I had to learn the manufacturing side of it. And I walked to the floor and I do rounds in the hospital. And I do that for a couple of reasons is one, I want to be visible. I don't want people to feel that the only reason why they're talking to Sam is because they're in trouble or they're going to get fired or they're going to get disciplined. Um, so I walk the floors in the hospital. I go and do rounding in the offices. I've come in for third shift to do rounding on third shift. I think regardless of the organization you're in, the visibility and learning, learning the culture and learning the business. I'm not clinical. I will never be clinical. But when I first started here, I'd sit in meetings and I would have no idea what people are talking about. And I'd ask questions and I would use Google and look up the acronyms so I could, you know, and even now if I'm in a meeting and I don't understand something, I'll ask the question. But in order to be successful, you have to really show that you want to learn and understand the industry, regardless if you're in HR or marketing or any of the back office functions. I think that's the success of being successful individually and having your department successful is understanding and taking the skills that you have in HR and trans transferring them into the culture and the industry that you're working in. And is it different working with physicians and healthcare professionals as opposed to employees you've worked with in the past? That's kind of a loaded question. <laughs> um, yes and no. So um, physicians are people too. And physicians are employees. So we have two, we have two kinds of physicians. We have those that are actually employees and we have those that aren't employees but have privileges to work here. So I don't really interact with those that aren't employed. My focus is those that are employed. I think one of the challenges is that before I got here, physicians didn't really interact with HR and HR really didn't interact with physicians. Since I've been here, we have. Uh, matter of fact, I talked to a, a physician this morning who called me and asked me for some help. And the fact that physicians actually call and ask for help, I consider that a huge win because there are some that are like, I'm a physician, I don't need HR, and I don't want to be disciplined or coached or talked to. And then there are others that actually reach out and say, I'm, I'm having a problem or I'm challenged or I need your advice. So y you have that different spectrum of those that are embracing it and those that aren't. But you have that with employees too. There are some that, you know, CHR coming and they run the other way and others are knocking on your door and, and they're a frequent flyer. So I don't want to say that working with physicians is different, but it kind of is. You've talked a lot about how the human resource department has changed since you got here. Like you said, it may be failing because there weren't proper resources and 
staff, did you feel comfortable going to the CEO and presenting the information that you found? To- yeah, absolutely. And the reason that I felt comfortable is, one, I think as a leader, whether you're in HR or any department, as a leader, it's your job to make sure that you have the right resources for your for your department and for the organization. And so if I didn't do my homework, I think that would have been a problem. But I've been doing this long enough that I know that before you go and ask the CEO for money or people, or you have to have your ducks in a row and your research and your information readily available to be able to go in and state the facts and state the reasoning behind it. And I think one of the challenges is you, you want to be passionate about it, but you have to keep the emotion out of it. And it's just, it's the facts. This yeah. is the market. This is where we are. This is the structure that we have now. This is the structure that I would like to go to. And here are the reasons why. So if you lay your case out, which I felt that I did, I felt very comfortable going to the CEO and saying, this is what I need and here's why. Yeah. So when you measure the performance of employees, how do you do that when you're working with all these different people and what are, how do you measure the patient experience and outcomes? So I'll take the performance piece first. So each employee, regardless of your level, including physicians, and the physicians are actually new to this, is everybody gets an annual review. And it's, it's an automated system, which we're still kind of fine tuning because before it was all paper which was a whole nightmare. Automated is much better. But so everybody has a job description and everybody has a review. So everybody in the organization is reviewed on a couple of standard components. So we have what's called Elliott Essentials, how you interact with people, how you interact with each other. You're here to, you're polite, you smile, you make sure that you're, um, addressing yourself in a professional manner. So everybody, including providers, are evaluated on those core competencies, interactions, communication, attendance, and then it goes into the core job responsibilities of your job. So if you're a nurse, you have if you're a nurse, you have the same evaluation because you have the same core competencies. If you're a provider, it's that. If you're a um, environmental or food services, you have your evaluation is based on your individual um performance and your based on your individual performance against your job responsibilities. And even as a vice president, I get reviewed every year as well. So, but my review is, is different. My job description would be different than your job description or your job description. And what we do now is you're, you're rated on that and then you get a merit increase. Um, we're looking to go for pay for performance. So what that means is if you're a strong performer, you're going to get a higher percentage of a raise than somebody who's in the same job as you that isn't as a strong performer because you want to, you want to reward the people who are stronger performers. So there's that piece of it. And then the patient experience, we do surveys through Prescani and we have a patient experience officer who's responsible for looking at the results of that, getting the results to the different departments and then departments are rated as a whole department on their patient experience scores. Would you say there's any other specific methodology for rating experience or you guys are looking more towards that pay for performance? So we do a couple things. So we do the the Prescani um, survey for patient experience. Um, Within HR, we we do a couple of different things. We try to be proactive on the retention side. So when you're a new employee, 
and you come on board, you go through an onboarding process, your, your typical HR paperwork, and, um, and then you go through your department orientation. And then HR does a check-in with new hires around 45, 60 days. How is your onboarding? How are you doing? Are there anything, you know, anything that you need that you're not getting? How is your training? Just a touch base point to make sure that things are going in the right direction. And then we do another check-in after a year. People have gotten the lay of the land. They've become used to their job. They've become acclimated. How are things going? Because we want to make sure that if there's an issue, we can be more proactive with it. So we do that. We also are starting to do that with providers. And we also do employee surveys and provider surveys. So between all of that information, we can get a, a pulse of the organization and that helps with our recruitment retention strategy, the compensation benefit strategy, and it really ties back into the softer side of what's working, what's not working, what makes employees happy, what gets them upset, and what areas that we as an organization need to improve on. So you mentioned earlier that the transition into healthcare wasn't as difficult because HR is HR no matter where you go, but is there anything specific that maybe surprised you when you first entered a healthcare organization? Um, I just, I think that for me, it was learning the industry. And I think I was surprised at how, how big the need was for human resources and the employee relations piece. Not so much the discipline, but more holding people accountable giving managers tools to be successful in their job, helping them have difficult conversations with people, and balancing the need to hold people accountable and not being short-staffed to impact patient care. So I think there's that balance of that. So you've worked in human resources for over 20 years now. What is your draw to HR and what makes you want to keep working in it? I absolutely love it. Um, I love all aspects of it. Maybe not all aspects of it. Not every day is, you know, sunshines and rainbows. But I love the fact that it's so diverse. Not every situation is different. Every day is you don't know what you expect. I come in with my schedule and somebody does something or there's a situation that I need to go address. Every day is different. Um, it keeps you going. It keeps you challenged. Um, and I think that I just love all aspects of HR and, and people think I'm crazy. And it's funny because I was in the OR. No, I wasn't the OR. It was the ED. And I was waiting for a manager there and I was talking to the nurses at the nurse's station. And, um, there was a patient there that was a, a frequent flyer because you could tell that the, the nurses knew this individual fairly well. And, I, they were like, oh, you should walk in our shoes. I'm like, I would love to come and spend, you know, half a day or a day in the ED and really see what you do. And I said, we can switch. I can do that. And you can come shadow me. And they were like, there's no way on earth I'm shadowing you in <laughs> HR. So there's not a lot of people that I think enjoy HR. But when you're in HR and you can see the value that you bring to the organization and you you break through that kind of closed door of the stereotypical HR, to me, that's a win. And when I have people call me for help and be proactive, that's a win. And if I can help 
an employee or a staff member do something better or differently or work through a situation, that that makes me continue to be HR because I can I can't make a difference clinically and I'd probably pass out in the OR, but I can make a difference on the softer side. And to me, that's what keeps me motivated in HR. What are some of the main skills and knowledge that you've developed in your experience in HR? Ooh, um, I've learned a lot of patience. I've also learned to not be judgmental. And I think when you're dealing with HR and you have someone who has an issue and in your mind you're thinking, are you kidding me? That's really petty. But to them, it's really important and it means something to them and it's urgent to them. And it's, it's really listening through the situation and helping them get to the other side and not, not being judgmental. I've learned a lot of mediation skills and negotiation skills and trying to get people to compromise. So I think personally, I've, you know, you learn the employee, the employee law, you learn the regulations and ERISA regs and stuff that comes with the job. But I think the softer side is stronger communication, being able to train and help develop people, but the listening, the patience and the judgment part is just something that I've, I, I don't want to say I've perfected because I don't think you ever perfect it, but I think I've fine tuned it to a point where, um, that's helped me be successful and it helps. I can also help others who are newer to the field that I'm mentoring in my department be able to do that too. What do most people who do not work in HR misunderstand about HR? And when you tell someone you work in HR, what erroneous assumptions might they make about your work? Um, I think when I tell people I work in HR, um, sometimes I get an eye roll. Sometimes it's, why would you choose HR? Or, oh, I give you a lot of credit. I could never do that. Those are usually the standard responses. Or I usually get, hey, I have an HR problem. Can I run it by you? Um, I get a lot of calls from friends that ask, hey, I have an HR problem, including my husband and his work. Um, but I think people don't really understand the new HR. The old HR was more you hire, fire, and you, you process paper. And the new HR is you help with strategy, you train, you coach, you develop. You're more of a strategic partner to the organization. And so when you have that transition, in order for people to really understand and appreciate the newer HR, it's up to me as the leader of the department to educate people on the services that we provide and the value that we can provide to the organization. And yeah, do we hire and fire people? Absolutely. Do we discipline people? Yes. But we also sit down and help people come up with strategies for their department for employee retention, for employee satisfaction, for employee engagement. And that's that's been an evolution within HR from where it was to where it's going. And I think the biggest piece is people don't understand that. They think that HR is kind of the HR police or they're the roadblock to not letting us do what we want to do um, and things like that. So it's, it's really up to me and the department to educate people to get them to really understand the value of HR. So HR has tactical functions. People have to be paid, get evaluated, et cetera. But as a VP, you're working at the strategic level. 
Where does HR fit into strategy? It's a huge part of strategy. And it actually, um, we have HR components in our board designated goals. So this fiscal year, we have um, as board designated goals, employee satisfaction, employee engagement, and provider satisfaction. And our next year fiscal uh, board goals, fiscal year board goals that we're working on now, retention and turnover is going to be a component of that. So HR sits at the table, is part of the strategy, and is included in the board designated goals, which I think is fabulous because it, it's not just an HR function. Turnover, retention, engagement, satisfaction, everybody in the organization plays a piece in that. We might play the lead in it, but everybody touches it. And so HR definitely fits in, in the strategy of the organization. And I'm happy to say is part of a board designated goal because it shows the importance of HR and having a seat at the table. So we're going to shift gears now and talk a little bit about leadership. What's your leadership philosophy? My leadership philosophy is lead by example give people an opportunity. I'm not a micromanager. I don't think I know how to micromanage. My department's too big for that. I like to give people opportunity. I do a lot of coaching and development. And I think throughout my career, I've been fortunate where people have given me opportunities for advancement and have put faith in me that I can be successful because they've seen the potential. So my leadership philosophy is that way with my staff, is there's a lot of coaching and development. There's a lot of promotion from within. I let people learn from mistakes. In HR, our mistakes aren't life and death, so it's different. But I I let people make decisions, and let's talk through it. So if somebody were to come to me and say, I have a problem, I don't know how to fix this, so let's talk it through. I'm not going to give you the answer, but let's talk it through, because I want you to be able to think for yourself. So I really try to get people to, I will help coach and push them unless it's illegal or unethical or they're going to make a really big mistake. I'll jump in and say, no, you can't do that. And here's why. Let's talk it through. Yeah. But I really try to, to push people to, to advance and, and to be successful on their own. What are a few specific characteristics and behaviors of a good leader and how do you aspire to those yourself? So for me, I think that one of the biggest things is coaching and developing. I think that if you keep all of your information to yourself and you don't train and develop people, I think, I don't think that's a strong leader. I think that part of your job as a leader is to develop. I'm really big with succession planning, um, and moving things forward. A strong communicator, a good listener, being open. I think those are, and, and taking the lead and showing initiative. And you have to look at the bigger picture. You can't just work in your silo. You have to see if a decision you make, how it impacts others and the reason for it. And I think the other thing with a good leader is not having all the answers, saying, I don't know, and making mistakes yourself. I think that is a humbling experience and shows that, you know, it, it's, it's okay to make mistakes and learn from them. So you just said making mistakes yourself. Could you give us an uh, example of a difficult leadership lesson you had to learn the hard way? Yeah. So I think when you come from, when you go from organization to organization, I think one of the things that I've learned is 
especially being new to an organization, regardless of the industry, is you have to sit back and take information in and learn and understand why things are being done and not come in and say, well, you guys are doing this, that, and the other thing wrong and make changes and fix it. I think I've learned that going from department, you know, from organization to organization is to really get the lay of the land first and then ask questions and get people's input. So there's there's a balance of too many cooks in the kitchen, but also if you are going to make a change, getting people's input and assistance with the solution because you get better buy-in in the rollout. I think I've learned that over the years as being more successful than coming in kind of, I don't want to say being a bull in a china shop, but maybe knee-jerk reaction and making changes too quickly without having the information or without um, including the right people with, you know, with the right intent in mind, but it's not taken that way because you haven't done it the right way or included the right people. So I've, I think I've learned the hard way to take a step back, get more information, get all of my ducks in a row, involve the right people, and then move forward. That seems to be more successful. Do you feel that you face any challenges being a woman in an executive position? I don't think so now. Um, On our senior leadership team, there's a good mix of males and females. In other organizations that I worked with, I was not only the only female on the executive team, but I was the youngest on the executive team. And And I'm not sure which was more challenging, being the youngest and being female or a combination of the two. But I think my first vice president position, I was in my early 30s and I was by far the youngest of all males. And I, it took me a while to prove myself. And then they sort of accepted me in as an equal, but I'm not sure if that was the age or the female piece of it. So, but I, I think now there's more and more female executives. Um, but I think regardless of your, your gender, you have to be able to prove yourself to be successful in the role. Right. And I think if you're successful in the role, regardless of your age and your gender, you're, you're going to be well-respected and accepted in the position that you hold. When you're looking at leaders and hiring positions, is there anything other that you look for than intuition and initiation, like you said earlier, and the coaching things in leadership? So I think, you know, we've just started really rolling out behavioral interviewing. I think one of the challenges that we have here, and I don't think it's just an Elliott health system issue, I think it's more widespread, is you hire people for skill. You don't necessarily hire people for fit. And I think now you have to really look at both equally. So you could have somebody who is really good and it could hit the ground running, but they're not a good cultural fit. Their style doesn't really fit the culture. And that's not healthy either because either the person isn't going to feel that they fit or they're not going to be a fit and either they move on or you help them move on. So I think when I interview for my own team, um, in addition to leaders in the organization, it's not just looking at the skill set because I've actually passed over candidates that have a really, really good skill set 
but I didn't feel would be a good fit for the department and or the organization at a whole. And I rather spend time working with someone who is a good cultural fit and getting them up to speed because you can teach somebody a skill set. You can't teach somebody the cult, like the culture, either you fit or you don't. And if you don't fit, the reasons that you don't fit is that coachable or not. And so I think it's important when you're looking at not just hiring leaders, but employees in general, is there's a good balance of hiring, not just for the skill set and the knowledge, but also the cultural fit. So let's talk about organizational culture a little bit and what it is and how successful leaders can help shape it. I think the organizational culture comes from the top and works their way down through the organization. So, you know, I've worked in different industries with different cultures where you have um, manufacturing where the culture is very different than in healthcare, which is very different than in IT, in the types of individuals that you hire for various positions. So, but it's not just, it. the culture also is transparency, communication, do you allow, you know, do you hold people accountable? Do you allow for inappropriate behavior or not? So there's a lot that forms the culture. And I think the culture really starts at the top of the organization and works its way down throughout the organization. Did you find any mentors in your earlier jobs? And if so, how did they influence your thinking about leadership? So I think my first mentor in HR was when I was at Microsoft, the senior HR person who kind of took me under their wing. I think she opened my eyes a lot to HR in general and showed me to, to take control over my own career and to show initiative. And I think that was helpful for me. And I've had multiple, when you look at a mentor and you look at the managers and the leaders that you have in various positions, there are things that you learn from everybody. And there are things that you learn of a manager that you're like, ooh, if I'm ever a manager, I don't want to do that. That didn't feel good. I don't want to manage somebody like that. And then there's other people where you learn positive traits from. So I think throughout my career, I've had various mentors, but I've learned a lot of leadership skills from people who I've encountered or have been my own manager or above. And I've sort of formulated my own leadership style from that of what I liked and what I didn't. And then you also take leadership classes and so forth and pick up things. But I think the leadership piece for me, I formulated my own style about my own experience of what I liked and what I didn't like about my own managers to formulate what I felt made a good leader for me and my personality. And it's, for me, it's been successful because I've been able to work, you know, I've been able to advance in my career. The HR teams that I've been the leader of in the employee surveys always seem to be happy and engaged and satisfied and have career opportunities. That's not saying that they like everything that I say or that I do or they agree with me all the time. But I think having that open respect for each other, I think that's a piece of it as well. 
How do you develop the leaders in your organization, and what are your expectations for mentorship within your organization? So we have some formal programs for leaders. We have um, a leadership development program, not a performance plan, but a leadership development program that um, we encourage. It's not mandatory, but we encourage our managers and above to take, and then there's courses that go along with it. So either they're online courses or their classroom courses. So there's a lot of opportunities for managers to be leaders. And also we have for our resource nurses and our supervisors, we have leadership classes as well to help them with the succession planning to move up. The one thing that we don't have is a formal mentorship program and a formal career development program, which is one of my goals, one of my strategic goals for the HR department for next year is to roll out a formal program. I think it's much needed. A lot of the millennials want to know, like they come in and they want to know what their next step is. They want to know in an interview process, what's my career opportunities. So if somebody right now were to come to me and say, hey, Sam, or somebody on the HR department, I want to know what my next move is, we'll sit down and do that one-on-one. But I really want to develop a full formal program throughout the organization because I think that's going to help with uh, leadership, mentorship, career development, and in the end is going to help with retention because if we can give people more career opportunities and a career ladder and people see the growth and opportunity inside, they're going to hopefully stay here and not go elsewhere. So you're affiliated with the Society of Human Resources Management and the Northeast Human Resources Association. When did you get involved in these organizations and how has being a part of them benefited your career? So when I first started in human resources, I belonged, I joined Society of Human Resource Management, which is SHRM. The Northeast Human Resource Association, I didn't, I didn't join until probably a couple years into my career. I also belong to or am a member of the advisory board and also the um, HR Hospital Association. So for me, being involved in those is is a wealth of information. You can share information with others. They have libraries of information that you can go to. You can get market data. If you need to start a program or develop a policy or come up with a job description, you can utilize those to get a starting point so you're not starting anything from scratch. You get employment law updates, benefit updates, you know, the ACA healthcare reform, all of the regulatory pieces that you have to stay on top of. They send you emails, they send you notifications, there's workshops. All of these organizations are a wealth of information to keep you up to date and up to speed on what you need to know. So as our final question, what advice can you give to people who are just starting a career in healthcare administration? I think asking a lot of questions and taking it all in. One of the things that I found helpful when I started in healthcare, and I think I said this before, is when I would sit in meetings, I wouldn't, you know, the acronyms and the clinical aspect of it, especially in administration, is in some areas, there's a clear divide between clinical and administration. Is, oh, you're an administrator, you don't understand what I go through, you don't understand the clinical piece. Ask the questions, educate me. You know, I'm never going to be a clinician, but I want to understand, I want to better understand what you do to help 
you be more successful in whatever I can do to help. So I think asking questions, being open to learning, and being open to when you first start, just sit back and take it all in and really understand the environment that you're in. And don't let various positions intimidate you. Everybody is an employee. Everybody is an individual. And people aren't going to turn you away if you ask a question. And I think for me, that made me, my transition into healthcare a lot easier because I did ask questions and I did show an interest. And I think people felt, I think people appreciated the fact that I wanted to know and understand and didn't just assume that I knew or pretend that I knew. And I think for me personally, that helped me with the transition of getting into healthcare. Well, thank you very much for sitting down and talking with us today. Thank you. It was my pleasure. You've been listening to the Health Leader Forge, a joint production of the College of Health and Human Services at the University of New Hampshire and the Northern New England Association of Healthcare Executives. Please go to our website, healthleaderforge.org, for more information or to leave comments about today's podcast. Look for Health Leader Forge podcasts on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and other podcast distribution sites. Thanks for being a part of the Health Leader Forge community, and we'll talk with you again in about two weeks.